Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest for this week is Kevin Robinson. So, Kevin, if you want to give a little bit of background on yourself and uh, we'll uh, have a conversation. Absolutely. Well, first of all, really happy to be with you here today, Tony. Uh, so I'm Kevin Robinson. I'm the senior VP of marketing for Wi-Fi Alliance. Uh, can't believe I'm actually coming up on, I guess, 14 years now with the organization. So I've been in the Wi-Fi space for, for at least a little, little bit of time. Um, if, for those who aren't familiar, Wi-Fi Alliance is a worldwide, worldwide network of companies that brought you Wi-Fi. Um, and of course, we're made up of kind of the who's who in the connectivity space. Uh, that have all come together uh, to make sure the Wi-Fi experience is, is great for people around the world. Uh, let's see, based in Austin, Texas, and I'm pretty happy that we are through the summer. Uh, it's finally starting to cool down. Um, and got to watch my watch my horns uh, uh, decimate tech, tech last weekend. So all in all, it's been a pretty good weekend. Well, okay, I'm going to back up a couple steps here. So my uh, I'm, I'm actually based out of Houston. Um, so, uh, I don't know, are, are, are just you based out of Austin or is Wi-Fi Alliance based out of Austin? So Wi-Fi Alliance is actually headquartered in Austin, Texas. Uh, then we have a research lab out in Santa Clara, California, and we have some other satellite offices around the globe. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, it's, it's, it's been on my list now for, you know, a year and a half. I was literally supposed to go to Austin the week after the world shut down. So March of 2020. Uh, I had gotten back from RSA and was ready to go visit Austin to, you know, hang out with various uh, people and companies that I know in that area. And, uh, you know, and now here we are <laughs> a, year, a year and a half later. Uh, I'm still yeah, on who, house. Yeah. Uh, who, who would have thought that that March 2020 that we'd, we'd be here right now? Uh, but I guess I'm sure we'll kind of get into this in the discussion. Uh, I think that, you know, any people's perspective on Wi-Fi has certainly has certainly changed over over those eight over those past eighteen months, um, in terms of just how how critical it's been for many of us to get through through this difficult time. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's. So, I mean, I'm, I don't want to I don't want to date myself, but I'm 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 old enough, and I've been working in IT uh, long enough to have been there when we started rolling out Wi-Fi. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like we did not have Wi-Fi when I started working in IT and then and then it was like it was a novelty, it was a thing we were, you know, rolling out and it was uh, you know, I have to say, you know, it was it was actually very nice to be able to uh you know, set somebody at a desk without necessarily you know, without having to go provision somebody to, mm -hmm. you know, come and, and run the run the cable over there and and all that kind of stuff. That said, 20 years ago, that Wi-Fi experience was, you know, it, it was okay. It was, it was nice. It was convenient to not have to set mm -hmm. up that, that LAN connection. However, you definitely sacrificed something in the performance uh, and, and stability uh, realm. Um, and I feel like, you know, obviously things have gotten significantly better in, in 20 years in that, in er in that area. Um, but speaking, you know, uh, I mean, you can talk about Wi-Fi in general, but I also want to get specifically into security um, Absolutely. Wi-Fi six. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of people who, you know, just use Wi-Fi, take Wi-Fi for granted, aren't necessarily following the numbers. Like I used to follow, you know, is 802.11b, it's 802.11ac, whatever. Um, I don't even pay attention to that anymore. It's just, you know, is it Wi-Fi or not Wi-Fi? Um, mm -hmm. but if you could maybe provide a little bit of background on like, okay, so what is, you know, how has security evolved with Wi-Fi 6? What, what makes Wi-Fi 6 better or different? 
Sure. And I, I'm, I'm sure in the, in the, in the durations podcast, we'll get into a lot more detail on kind of the specifics of some of these security capabilities. But the, the main thing probably for people to understand is that Wi-Fi 6 is the first generation of Wi-Fi that required WPA3. Um, so Wi-Fi 6 is today's generation of Wi-Fi. And as you alluded to, uh, there are certainly those of us in the industry who who really are intimately familiar with the alphabet soup that are the IEEE stan- 802.11 standards, right? But the reality is many people will many people have a hard time keeping up with all of that. And so by going with this kind of sequential nomenclature, it becomes much easier for somebody just to say, you know what, I need the latest generation of Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6 is it, and then they go purchase that. And so by tying these these security, kind of these these significant security advancements to those generations of Wi-Fi makes that simpler as well because it's if you have the latest generation you're going to have the latest security requirements you know generally um, and that's the case with wi-fi 6 so again wpa3 every single device that supports wi-fi 6 is going to have the latest generation of wi- of of security um, and then one step further when you talk about wi-fi 6e which i'm sure you and many of your your, uh, your listeners are familiar with is the is wi-fi 6 extended in the six gigahertz band that 1200 you know massive 1200 megahertz of spectrum that's now available in the U.S. and is kind of rolling out around the world as well. Wi-Fi 6E requires that every connection, if it has security turned on, is using WPA3, right? So not only do the devices have to support it, but that is what is mandated is used in that band. Um, So again, a lot of of steps forward, just making sure that it's it's simpler to, or less error prone that the user can't inadvertently choose let's say the wrong security, um, because you know, as we'll get into this, I'm sure later later in the show, all the tools are there for Wi-Fi to be as secure as anything out there. Um, and it's a lot of this is about making sure that people are, are using it, they're configuring it correctly. Um, and, and again, I'm sure we'll get into that a bit, bit, a bit later. Well, and so so from my, my understanding, and I think that configuring it correctly is is one of the uh, really kind of one of the hurdles that, and I think that, that over time it's gotten better and Wi-Fi six makes it significantly better in that, uh, it's more automated or more by default. So like, you know, the, you know, one of the things, you know, that I've been, uh, you know, working with the Wi-Fi Alliance on and, and focused on are, are, are kind of addressing these, uh, the pervasive myths around security with, with Wi-Fi and, um, you know, one of them, you know, WPA3, which we, and we will get into it a little bit more, but WPA3 is 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 a significant step forward that addresses, you know, I, I, I would say probably the most pervasive or common, you know, like it seems like everyone sort of knows the story of uh, WEP or WEP. And it's like, okay, you know, we had encryption and it's like, all right, well, now I can crack, you know, anybody can crack that in uh, under a minute. And and for a lot of people, that's all they know, that's all they remember. <laughs> like, like you know, it, it's 15 years later, but uh, that that that's the only thing people people are still you know clinging on to. Um, you know, from from that perspective, um, you know, and so again, for me, for me, it's kind of the encryption and and people not wanting to let go of that, uh, you know, that that story. Um, but. What you know is there is there a Wi-Fi security myth that stands out for you that that kind of like you keep hearing it and it just rubs you the wrong way because you're like well that's not that's just not true. 
Absolutely. And, and you know, unfortunately, they're, they're they're often you know many myths that that are perpetuated by uh, by people, and some you know have um, there's a motive behind it, right? I mean, there, right. There's 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 a reason to perpetuate the myth. Uh, but I think one of the ones that is probably gets me a little a little bit more is the myth around uh, cellular security being inherently stronger than Wi-Fi security, which, which simply isn't true, right? I mean, we hear a lot about this in the in the five G Wi-Fi debate. Um, the reality is. Uh, you know, you know Wi-Fi 6 and 5G both provide sufficient levels of security for mission-critical networks, period, right? They do. They may approach things slightly differently, uh, but, but again, the reality is they are, they, are, they are comparably secure and perfectly sufficient for just about any deployment environment that you, you can imagine. And, and, you know, even to the point where Wi-Fi right now has, has incorporated, incorporated um, elements of uh, like the commercial national security algorithms, right? So these are the approved algorithms that can be used for, you know, incredibly secure environments, uh, you know, top secret level in governmental agencies. And Wi-Fi supports that in our 192-bit encryption level in, in WPA3 Enterprise. Um, but I think part of what drives that particular myth is, and you kind of got to it, it could either be where you're having comparisons across generations. So let me take the latest and greatest cellular technology, and I'm going to compare it to the second generation of Wi-Fi technology, right, um, or, or of security. But when you start doing a, a true like-to-like comparison, whether that is in an enterprise environment where you have, you know, or, or even in, a, in a, an environment where you're doing cellular offload to Wi-Fi, in, in that latter case, you can have both device devices are using SIM credentials to authenticate to the network. Uh, they're, you know, it's hardware, hardware-based credentials, they're authenticating to the network, they're uh, authenticating back to the operator's network, and they are getting very strong over the air security as well. But again, it's when you do those like-to-like comparisons, it becomes very clear that Wi-Fi has strong security, uh, but people may be you know, considering, let's say, deployment models that cellular can't even enable today. But you know, Wi-Fi does have that flexibility. It has a diverse set of tools, but it's important to use the right tools for the right job. And when you do that, you know, you're, you're in a really good place. So let me tell you, I got two, two, two points on that. Number one is, uh, uh, and again, this, this is somewhat outdated. And so this is part of dealing with these myths and, and, and trying to get people on, on board with like, well, what, what's the current situation of Wi-Fi? But at one point, one of the issues was, okay, great. I've got, you know, the latest Wi-Fi mine is set up with, you know, WPA2, but as long as it was auto negotiating and falling back, um, and you know, to, to whatever, you know, it was, it was kind of falling back to like, well, what's the, 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 the highest level of, of encryption that all of the devices in this network path can communicate on. So it's like, well, you never really knew, you know, like, you know, am I, am I really a WPA two or, or did I end up falling back to WEP because that was, you know, what, what, what mm -hmm. I connected mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one aspect. And then the other one is, and, and speaking from, you know, my own, uh, you know, personal use is if I'm home, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always on Wi-Fi. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not using cellular connections at home, but you know, pre COVID, uh, you know, I used to, uh, you know, frequently go hang out at, at like say a Starbucks mm -hmm. and 
you know, one of the benefits of going to a Starbucks is they've got free Wi-Fi. It's you know pretty pretty you know fast free Wi-Fi. Um, but I I you know I admittedly would if I was going to say log into you know my bank or do anything anything like that, I would go to my personal hotspot from my cell phone because I didn't want to be on the shared network at Starbucks where you know where traffic could possibly be you know intercepted by someone else on the network. Um, and 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 you know it's you know maybe my perception on that is wrong. You know maybe maybe you know maybe I'm I'm either overestimating the cellular security or underestimating the Wi-Fi security, but that was just my perception was hey this is fine for I'm checking my email, I'm you know shopping on Amazon or whatever, mm-hmm. but when I got to things that I felt were were sensitive I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do this on the, you know, open network at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think with some of that, um, uh, of course, it is always important to keep in mind that, you know, with security in depth, right, right, in terms of having layers of security. So, you know, obviously, no, no matter where I am, even at home, I pay attention to the fact that when I access my banking, that I'm using HTTPS, right? I look for I look for the lock, right? I, I want to make sure that that's that that additional layer of security is there, and that should be the case wherever you go, right? And so, you know, we certainly want people to pr- practice, you know, good security hygiene. You know, if you're in many enterprises, are going to have you using VPN. So you have your Wi-Fi security, you have VPN, yeah. plus you have the encryption, you know, transport layer encryption with the websites or the web services you're accessing. And all of that's good, right? I mean, we don't want to, we, we want all of those to be kind of pieces of the pieces of the puzzle. But when you look at where I think particularly public, public Wi-Fi is going in many cases, uh, more and more, you're going to see services that leverage Passpoint. Now in Passpoint, maybe an ingredient in that, uh, for example, uh, the open roaming initiative that has Passpoint underlying, underlying it. it. And there are examples of AT&T doing deployments in downtown Austin that are that are open roaming, Passpoint based. And your phone is going to automatically jump onto that network, use enterprise class security. And, you know, it is equally secure to a cellular or any enterprise connection, right? That's that's what you're going to get. And it requires no additional intervention of the user. It's gonna use the credentials that are in the SIM card on my phone. Um, similarly, you're seeing with an example with open roaming where you have federated authentication starting to happen in many of these many. public environments. Um, so whenever possible, you really want those though, that approach to be used whenever possible. It's incredibly secure. Now, there are others, some other changes that are happening in WPA3, and this is an important point, that WPA3 represents a generation of security, but there's ongoing developments in WPA3. In fact, we may get into some of the other ones, but one one particular capability uh, that we recently added, which is very relevant to your question, is uh, something called SAE public key. So if you know that WPA3 is is based on something called simultaneous authentication of equals, um, and that has its own benefits in home environments, et cetera. But what SAEPK adds on top of that is it's bringing public key cryptography into a public hotspot environment 
for small cafes where you know you still have the the password put up on a chalkboard right back behind the barista so it's that type of user experience people are already used to it but that password actually incorporates a essentially a signature for the public key that that ap is using so even though you're typing in a basic password what your client the client device is actually doing is it is use it is authenticating to the ap that ap has a public key just like a like a website might you know with https and the client is able to in fact authenticate that it is talking to the right ap all through typing in a simple password um, and so that gives an incredibly um, increased you know, increased level of security to avoid things like evil twin attacks that could lead to something like man in the middle right Right. Well, and, and yeah, that, that was actually uh, kind of where I was. I was going to go next anyway. Anyway, which is you know WPA three. You know, so you had WEP, you had WPA. Both had issues. You know, WPA two I think was kind of the first one that was like, all right, this is you know pretty strong, pretty stable. We can we can trust WPA two. Um, but WPA three does add a lot. Uh, you know, and you know, so like you said, with the SAEPK, um, the uh, the what is it, the like the Wi-Fi enhanced open, you know, the, so there are there are there are elements of WPA3 that really fundamentally change the dynamic of what I was referring to at at, at say a Starbucks of you know where mm-hmm. you know that connection is now significantly uh, you know more secure. In, in my mind, um, you know, with WPA3 than it would have been with WPA2, even on an open network. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And of course, again, whenever possible, you want you want to be using an authenticated network. But the reality is there are deployment models. There's there's reasons that, that network managers will make a decision around open networks. And the one you, you gave the example of, you know, enhanced mm-hmm. open, which is, or uh, opportunistic wireless encryption is kind of what the technology, what the technology is referred to. Referred. But what it is, is it, it is truly it's opportunistic encryption where you're not authenticated, so it's not going to protect you against you know every every sophisticated attack. But yeah. what it does do is, without requiring any authentication or password, the the AP, the network, and the clients are setting up their own encrypted channel, right? right. So that it makes it a little bit harder to to eavesdrop on their communications, but it's un- unauthenticated. Now, the more typical deployment of in, in deployments in WPA3 with the passwords that everyone are, are become accustomed to for the last 20 years is um, brings its own benefits, right? So right. in WPA3, the personal flavor, right? So that's right. password-based. You're going to get um, natural pass- password selection, right? So right. the so a lot of the complexity rules that were often associated with, with Wi-Fi passwords become less important. What's really important is that the password is difficult to guess. So I might come up with four words that, you know, four random words, concatenate them together and say, that's my password. It's easy for me to remember. It's natural for a user to remember, but because it's difficult to guess, WPA3 provides provides a ton of security, right? And the idea here is, with the underlying the underlying protocol, something called simultaneous authentication of equals, every time an attacker wants to, let's say, do a dictionary or brute force attack, and they want to take a guess at your password, they have to actually interact with the APAP. So it, you're, you've now moved from the days of WPA2, where you had the potential for an offline brute force attack. Now it has to be online. So the AP knows every time 
that an attacker is making a guess at the password, right? So, hey, is it A? No. Is it B? No. Okay. You know, at some point, you know, it gets wise to it, right? And so it really, that adds a level of security. Security. Um, in addition, you have uh, the same user experience that you would have with WPA2. And then finally, WPA3 Personal introduces forward secrecy, which was not something you had in WPA2. And again, many of your listeners probably know this, right? But, but for those that maybe not, you know, essentially what this means is I can have an encrypted communication with you. And at the end of that communication, I could literally tell the entire world, this is the password we use to set up that connection. And they and an attacker still could not go back and decrypt our traffic, right? So you have to actually have had the password prior to prior to capturing the packets or listening in on that conversation. So that's a pretty substantial improvement that comes in and it's totally transparent to the user, but they're getting it through WPA3. Uh, and then the final piece is the enterprise level. And I kind of alluded to this, that there is a new 192 bit level of security, which, um, and, and the key thing here is it provides consistent security across all of the various uh, cryptographic tools, right? So when you look at authentication, authenticated encryption, key derivation and confirmation, um, management frame protection, all of these things are kind of tools, right? That are used to secure a network or to allow a network to operate and keep it secure. With, with this 192-bit security, you think of it almost like a knob, right? You have level one, you have level two, you have level three. And whatever level you set that at, like the 192-bit level, this ensures that all of those links of the chain, if you will, are of consistent strength, and you don't have one link that is that is weaker than the other. Yeah. Um, so again, and, and that's just in the baseline version of WPA3, and we continue to evolve the WPA3 um, security generation over time. Um, as you were talking, we were talking about the 192-bit. I was going to say one, one of the things that I, I've, I've maintained as long as I've been writing about security, we always talk about, you know, oh, well, it's X, you know, 256-bit, 192-bit, you know, 64-bit, whatever the encryption is. And then there'll be someone, you know, some part of the story that says, you know, given a, you know, standard high-end computer, it would take 423 years for an attacker to, you know, crack this key. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, Unless they guessed it on the first try, I'm like, you're assuming that it's gonna that it's gonna be the last guess. <laughs> but even if I'm, if I'm brute forcing, if your password is a a a a a a a a a, I'm gonna hit that pretty quick. <laughs> well, but but this is actually important with SAE because in if you if you may recall in WPA2, the passphrase was you was directly used in deriving the network, network. keys. Right. So like your PMK is an example. So the, the actual key material that's used in the network encryption. Right. And with WPA3, the, the password passphrase is only used for authentication. And then it goes through a process of actually deriving a random key, which is cryptographically secure because you know the machine is coming up with something that is truly random for the 128 bit. Right. So it's it's not whereas again, you where you let's say I put in you know, uh, Fluffy, because that's my dog's name, right? Not a good password, by the way. I'm not recommending you do that, right? But let's say I put that in. Well, there's, you know, that's probably in some rainbow table somewhere where somebody's already derived essentially the keys that would flow through that for WPA2. Well, with WPA3, they have to actually be able to guess that it's Fluffy, 
Right. And yeah, they would get to it eventually, but there is no there's a, a disc there's a disconnector, if you will, an independence between the authentication and the encryption keys. And so that's that's a very important point that is um, that is relevant to WPA3. Okay. Um, going back to what I had sort of referenced at the beginning, can you explain, you know, how does, you know, with WPA3, is there fallback or how does that fallback work? You know, like, so if I'm, if I, if I'm using Wi-Fi 6 and I've got a, w, you know, a Wi-Fi certified device that's, you know, and, and WPA3 is required, um, but I'm connecting to a network that maybe doesn't have that, am I still falling back? So there's 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 two distinct modes, right? You have you you have a transition mode, and this is, you know, the reality is this is one of the challenges that always comes along with having 14 billion legacy devices in the field, right? I mean, that's uh, is the ability to allow these other devices to connect. Now, so there are distinct modes. There is a, a WPA3 mode, which is only allows WPA3. And then there's transition modes, right, that, that allow essentially both either a WPA2 or a WPA3 device to connect. Now, in an enterprise environment, what you might actually see is the IT administrators don't use the transition mode and they have distinct networks, right? And they say, okay, well, this is a WPA2 network. We're gonna have certain policies around what those client devices can do. We don't let, let's say we don't want them to talk to the you know the other virtual LAN, you know, the other VLAN that those those other devices are on. So there's things that a, a sophisticated enterprise is probably going to do. Now with um but what one of the things that WPA3 has now is uh, it's called um essentially um Oh, sorry. Uh, transition disabled, but but essentially, uh, if you're familiar with like HTTP strict transport security, that concept in web, right, where essentially a a website will communicate that every page you ever get from that that site is going to be HTTPS, you have that same type of capability with a WPA3 network. So once you, as an administrator, whether this whether is at home or in an enterprise mm -hmm. environment, know that, that your devices are all WPA3 capable, you flip this on, and the first time that those devices connect to the network, they see this and they say, aha, I will never connect to this network again using WPA2 because it has now been disabled. And in fact, they actually save that in the, in the network profile. And so if an attacker, let's say, came up and said, I'm gonna put up a, an evil twin and I'm gonna enable WPA2 on that AP, and I'm going to use that to try and downgrade attack those clients. They're going to say, no, no, no. The network already told me that I should never use WPA2 again. And so I'm not going to connect to you. So, yes, it's one of those kind of necessary things that often you have to you have to have these transition modes. But then we also have mechanisms to essentially turn off that that transition, that transition capability. Right. No, and you know, and I can I can relate to that. I mean, you know, so like this goes back a ways because this hasn't come up recently, but uh in the in the traditional historical you know windows versus mac you know microsoft versus apple you know debates um it, it would always come up like you know, that microsoft would come out with a new version of windows and it would still have these like legacy things in it that were you know that we were already complaining about and it's like well why'd you leave that in there um and you know and then apple would come along and say hey you know what we're no longer supporting PowerPC. We've drawn a line in the sand. You know, too bad, so sad. Your thing no longer works. And I was always like, yeah, see, Apple could get away with that, 
you know, because they had a much smaller base to play with. I mean, like Microsoft can't just draw a line in the sand and say, hey, you know what? None of you can connect anymore, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and Wi-Fi is sort of in the same boat. You know, I mean, I've got, you know, I, I can't actually I could tell you I could go into my uh, Eero uh, uh, settings right now and tell you how many devices are connected in my house. But when I do look at it. I'm generally blown away because it's like, yes, I know my computer is connected. I know my phone is connected. Um, you know, my wife's computer, my daughter's computer and phone. So those things off the top of my head, I'm like, yes, I know of those things. And then you look at the list and you see like, oh yeah, well also my TVs and my refrigerator and my, you know, and you know, my nest cameras. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden I've got 70 devices, you know, connected to my Wi-Fi network. You know, even though if you had asked me off the top of my head, I would have listed like, you know, 10. <laughs> right there, there's those there's all those little things that you don't necessarily think about that are connected to your Wi-Fi network. You know, I think one of the one of the the great things about Wi-Fi as a technology and and it's you know twenty plus years that that it's been around is it it really puts it puts a lot of those choices in the network owner. You know, whether that's me at home, you at home, whether that's an enterprise. It at the end of the day, it's 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 your call when you upgrade devices, there's very little forced obsolescence, right? Um, but then, you know, but kind of coupled with that, there, there's the work that, that happens on, okay, how do we maintain backward compatibility? How do we do it securely? How do we do it efficiently? And where there are kind of demarcation lines where it makes sense to be able to kind of draw a line in the sand, the industry is going to help do that. And I think Wi-Fi 6E, I mentioned this earlier, is actually a good example of that where the industry said, okay, this is this is greenfield spectrum for Wi-Fi, right? 1200 megahertz. Um, what are we, what type of legacy or backwards compatibility are we going to bring into that band? And the answer was very little, right? So if you look, if you look at the six gigahertz band, it's Wi-Fi six only. You are not going to have legacy support for Wi-Fi four and five because those devices don't exist in the band, right? It's not necessary. Uh, we're only bringing WPA3 into the six gigahertz band. Why? Because every six gigahertz device, every Wi-Fi 6E device has the capability. You don't need the backwards interoperability. So where, wherever possible, of course, you want to raise the bar on security, you want to raise the bar on performance and efficiency, but then you also need to have um, you know, the tools in place for those environments where you do truly have a need. Um, I know one of those we always heard about is, you know, there are, uh, as an example, like barcode scanners that are in some warehouses that will have, you know, a decades lifespan. And that's a reality, right? And um, so one of the great challenges for the industry, again, is how do we make how do we make those trade-offs? How do we provide the right tools to the network administrators that when they want to make the move, they can make the move and they can do it securely? Okay. Um, switching a you know a little bit off of uh, the mm -hmm. security aspect, I would you know you know like I said, I was I was talking about you know being around when we were rolling out Wi-Fi in the first place, and that you know obviously there was there was a trade-off. You know, I mean, I was I I, I had a 100 megabit per second, you know, LAN, and I was connecting people at, you know, 10 megabits per second on their, on, on their Wi-Fi. Um, and, you know, as, as, you know, new 802.11 standards rolled out, you know, that kept getting faster and faster. And it's really only in the last, for me, and I, you know, I, I have maybe higher, higher standards than, than some people, but it's really only in the last 
three, four, five years that I that I'm don't really care uh, if I'm connected on Wi-Fi or wired. Now, I mean, I've I've my 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 wired connection is gigabit, you know. So I mean, it's it's pretty damn fast, but my Wi-Fi connection is still in the you know 150, 200, 250 range, uh, which is plenty fast, you know, and in terms of like what I actually do, whether it's, you know, doing this or, uh, you know, watching Hulu or, you know, whatever I'm doing, uh, you know, I no longer am really concerned about that difference in speed. Like, you know, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi for me finally got to the point where it's like, all right, it's, 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 it's just as good. I don't have, I don't have to consider the trade-off anymore. Mm-hmm. No, a- absolutely, and and I think that uh, you're especially seeing this in in, in service providers, right? And you know, fixed fixed service providers, where um, you know, as they're moving to gigabit speeds and ultimately looking to 10 gigabit in, in the home, right? Um, they're seeing that that Wi-Fi, with a lot of the developments we're having, can deliver the you know, essentially the full capacity of what they are bringing to the home into every square foot of the home, right? I mean, it's whether that's using, let's say, multi-AP solutions are, are able to do that. Uh, in some cases, if you have, um, you know, you know, you may be using a combination of, of wired and wireless, but no matter what type of environment you're in, you're with things like Wi-Fi 6, with coming of Wi-Fi 6E, uh, again, multi-AP um, architectures for, for the Wi-Fi networks, you are going to be able to deliver that you know, gigabit, if it's coming into your house, you're going to get it in every device. You know, my, my smartphone right here, it's, it's getting 900 plus megabit per second. Right. Um, now, unfortunately my, my coming into my home, I'm only sitting at 200. So my in five, you know, my in-home transfers are going to be running at that higher, higher speed, but I am able to get the full benefit of whatever I'm paying my service provider for wherever I am in my home to include in my backyard. And that's, uh, um, I mean, that truly is kind of the, the freedom to do whatever you want, wherever you want, because of, you know, the advancements we've seen in Wi-Fi. Yeah, I just uh, while, while you were talking, I'm like, I, I just did the speed test on my phone real quick. So I'm, I'm, I'm on, on the Wi-Fi on my home network. I'm getting 438 right now. So, you know, it's plenty fast. Um, and and also, you know, to, to you know talk about the multi-AP. That also was another thing that like traditionally was more of an issue for me. Like it didn't matter if I had, you know, the, you know, Nighthawk, you know, router that has, you know, 17 antennas sticking out of it. And it looks like something from a, you know, aliens movie. Uh, I just, you know, I could not get like a solid, stable connection everywhere in my house. Like, you know, it worked where the router was, but you know, I have a decent sized house. And if I was upstairs on the other end of the house, it's like, it was kind of, it was kind of shaky. Um, and I'm sure that that technology also improves over time. But once I switched to, you know, this mesh network with, with Eero, where I've got an access point here and one in the bedroom and one upstairs and, you know, and, you know, it's gotten much better, you know, like I don't have to worry about that as much, uh, or that really at all. Like, like you said, I, it doesn't matter if I'm in my backyard, if I'm hanging out at the, you know, at the street at the end of the driveway, you know, I've, I've got the range cause the entire house is covered by this mesh network as opposed to 
trying to have one access point in my living room that somehow is beaming through all of the walls and all of the ceilings and floors and, and, and managing to get everywhere, which, you know, a lot of devices have a problem with. I mean, at some point you have physics, right? Right. <laughs> and that's what you're ultimately dealing with, you know, especially, you know, I mean, I'm one of those people who's very lucky. I've, I have drywall construction, so I get, I get, you know, really good range out of, out of the APs. You know, I've got multiple, multiple APs, but the APs in my home, but you know, if you've got, you know, uh, concrete construction, if you're in areas yeah. in Asia, the ability to deliver that speed wherever you are is, is important. Things have really just changed. I mean, we've got so used to, because partially in part because of the freedom of Wi-Fi, we've gotten used to, we want to do what we want to do, want to do where we want to do it, right? And so I, I don't want to be tethered to, okay, well, I'm doing a high performance application. I need to be in my office because that's where, you know, that's the, the best signal is. Um, you see a, a greater focus overall in the industry on the quality of the experience being consistent throughout the entire network area. There's sufficient capacity that the performance is high enough, the latency is low enough, no matter where you are. And mesh is just one of the items that's helping to do that. Um, Wi-Fi 6 overall has a lot of great capabilities, things like OFDMA, um, you know, uplink MU-MIMO, et cetera, that are going to give that, that consistency in a home environment. Um, and you know, I think you should expect that's going to, that evolution is going to continue with with future generations of Wi-Fi. Okay, so now you, I I, I want to say we've probably hit on most, if not all, of these already. But just to kind of sum it up in one question, um, are there any specific features of Wi-Fi six or WPA three that are are especially beneficial for a home network for a consumer just at home um you know because like I, I have not upgraded mine you know my euro is still whatever the previous generation was i don't have the the, the latest wi-fi 6 one so um you know so sell me you know <laughs> why, why why should i upgrade well so we, we already talked about it a bit before with, with wpa3 you do get a a significant bump up in security because of that resistance to uh to password guessing right so it's a it's a simple to remember can be a simple remember password but providing very strong security protections um and then you know the and that's that's a required part of wi-fi 6. now i think that the other push is just Wi-Fi 6 brings a ton of great performance improvements in the home, particularly around the consistency of the experience that you're going to get. Um, the ability to deal with um, all manner of devices. Uh, I think you, I don't know if you said um, that, Tony, that you had uh, 20 something you know, devices in your home. That's, that's actually not all that uncommon <laughs> nowadays. But those devices often are very different. So you might have something like a sensor that really doesn't send a lot of data, but the latency maybe is important to you. Or maybe you've got you know, an uh, ARVR headset, and they have very different traffic profiles and very different needs from the network. And Wi-Fi 6 really provides tools that let the network tailor the experience and tailor the connectivity um, service, right? The, the, the traffic to those devices 
based on what the device needs to do. Um, again, from things like OFDMA, um, and that's that's going to be important. Uh, with Wi-Fi 6E, I think what you're going to see there, particularly as you get into more multi-AP deployments, well, now you've got you know seven of these super wide 160 megahertz channels in the U.S. That is incredibly important if you're in any type of a dense area. You know, let's say you're in a condo in a city, or maybe you even have neighbors that are that are nearby. The ability to support more of those APs and be able to not only provide access, you know, high performance to the devices to the access network, if you will, to the clients, but also to distribute that traffic between the APs, and all of that requires spectrum. And so I think Wi-Fi 6E is going to be very important, very important there. Um, but just the other thing, again, around WPA3, and this is incredibly important to, to remember, you know, we've talked about some of the baseline features, and then we've talked about some of the features that have come over just the last year or so to WPA3. That's that that certification, you know, Wi-Fi certified WPA3 is evolving over time. So as we address new new needs, um, and the the SAEPK is a good example of that, or the transition disable. Those are going to get rolled into that generation um, and find their way into Wi-Fi devices. So that's why it's always best to look, to for, look for the latest security, the latest generation of Wi-Fi um, to make sure you get kind of all that's out there and available to you. Okay. Um, all right. Well, and you know, like I said, you know, if uh, if we ever get past this COVID thing, and I go back to a Starbucks, you know, maybe I'll uh, you know get, give that another chance because you know because the flip side is uh you know using up data you know it's like you know it's like the, so i realize uh all you know all the providers you know offer some sort of an unlimited data plan on a cellular service now um verizon keeps trying to sell me on it but it's just it's not it's just not cost effective compared to what the plan i've already got you know every, so every, every time i call verizon about something they'll, they'll, they'll be like well, you know, we've got unlimited. I'm like, all right, well, cool. Tell me about it. And they're like, well, it's like this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, okay, so then what would my bill be? And they're like, well, it would go up significantly. I'm like, well, then why would I want to do that? You know, and, you know, because, you know, when I have the conversation with them, it's because, uh, you know, on, on, on you know, rare occasion, you know, I don't know, like twice a year, maybe we'll, we'll end up going over the, the data plan. And, you know, and, and, you know, some, some customer service person will be like, hey, you know, you, know, you got charged fifteen dollars for that overage. You know, you might want to switch to unlimited. I'm like, all right, well, how, what's that going to cost me? And they're like, oh, well, it'd be like an extra hundred dollars a month. I'm like, so what you're saying is I can go over, <laughs> like, eight eight gigabytes over uh, before before that would be cost effective. Um, you know, so 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 bottom line is I'm not I'm not sold on the unlimited, at least not what uh, Verizon's offering me, and uh, I have a vested interest in not using my phone as a as a personal hotspot, you know, from from that perspective. Um, especially because now a lot of what I'm doing, whether it's here, whether it's at, at a Starbucks, no matter where it is, is this. I'm I'm streaming video. I'm doing you know, whether whether I'm either in a meeting like you and I are right now, or streaming Netflix, streaming Hulu, whatever, it's video streaming and I'm consuming significantly more data than I would have been, say, you know, three, four, five years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, and just to, to touch on that again, because we've spent a lot of time on WPA3, which is important, but Passpoint, you know, for those scenarios that you're describing, where you're really in a public environment, you know, Passpoint is incredibly important for those for those those types of scenarios. Um, it's in it's in every major OS, right? I mean, all your phone OSs have it. 
your all of your laptop OSs have it. And it's, you know, it can be incredibly, um, you know, seamless to where it happens to me all the time. I go to the airport, I look down, oh, my phone's on Wi-Fi. Didn't do anything, but it's connected. It's using a strong, you know, enterprise class connection. It's doing that based on a, uh, a roaming profile with my mobile operator. And I think you're going to see more and more of that, even to the point where um, I, I mentioned, you know, there's a number of these, there's open roaming, there's Orion Wi-Fi with Google. Um, there's a number of these initiatives out there that are doing or are, are federating, the, you know, having a federated process to the authentication where it even starts making sense for enterprises on your guest network, for example, to enable this. In fact, we're, we're doing it, we're gonna be doing it in, in, the, in the Wi-Fi offices very soon to where a guest comes in and rather than giving them a password, it is going, their phone is going to automatically roam onto that network and provide a secure connection. So the the, the tools are there. I think, you know, you're, we're seeing it really um, get traction, particularly with some of these federations that are getting set up. And, you know, I think the, the vision definitely long-term is, um, you really don't want any unauthenticated connections. Exactly. You know, you want everyone having strong security, whether it's using something like Passpoint or whether it's using this new capability in WPA3 uh, with the um, SAEPK that gives you the same type of protections, but with a, a password that's up on a chalkboard, for example. Um, so yeah, it's 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 you know it's a great time, and um, um, hopefully you'll be in a in, in a Starbucks uh, soon, uh, and <laughs> not close up in your office for too much longer. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, I mean, not that I'm itching to work in a Starbucks, but it would be nice to at least have that option. Uh, yeah. and, and so in, in, in wrapping up, I want to say, you know, you, you started off talking about uh, Texas, uh, you know, UT beating, beating Texas Tech. And I've said, I don't really care that strongly about either of them, but uh, my, my son graduated from Texas Tech, so I do have to lean that way. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> but I only, when he was there, I only went to one game. Uh, and it, you know, and uh, they lost. Texas Tech lost, but uh, it was uh, uh, my my first exposure to Patrick Mahomes. And having seen him play mm -hmm. at Texas Tech, I would not have predicted that he would you know emerge as the like next generation you know uh, you know Tom Brady. I mean, he, he basically he basically is the next generation QB right now, and uh, which I find to be very you know very impressive. Given like I said, I mean he was he was okay. You know? <laughs> But watching him at Texas Tech, I didn't. I didn't have any. Uh, I didn't get any idea that he was, you know, a superstar. Yeah, and there, there, there's no hard feelings. My uh, uh, my mother-in-law, in fact, was went to Tech, so um, it's um, not. It's a. It's not a as strong a rivalry, let's say, as some of them, where the, the emotions get a little bit more heated. <laughs> so I have a. I have a son right now at uh, Texas A&M Galveston, and uh, uh, actually, that's a that's a whole different experience because I'm like te Texas A&M is. I mean, every college has like, you know, the, there's a, they lay loyal base, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Michigan. I only went to U of M like, you know, a semester and a half, but I, that I consider that to be my alma mater, <laughs> you know, so I'm a loyal Michigan fan, but I'm like, Texas A&M is like a cult. It's it, it, they, they've gone beyond like you're, you're just loyal to your school to like, there are, there are so many of the just weird rituals and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, what are you guys doing? Like, you're supposed to just be getting an education. Why are there like, you know, <laughs> weird cult rituals going on so it's a unique unique experience at AM. but um anyway uh, i mean do you have any other you know, is there anything we didn't hit on 
uh, as it relates to Wi-Fi or, or WPA3 that you want to you want to you know, wrap up with? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think we hit all the main points, and I guess just in in closing. Um, just reiterating how important it is for users to be looking for the latest generation of Wi-Fi, the latest generation of Wi-Fi security, and and, and lastly, but, but equally important, that they're getting Wi-Fi certified gear. Because a lot of things we're talking about in terms of you know, requirements and what are we requiring devices to do in their behaviors, that's really validated through Wi-Fi certified. And so whether it's for your home, whether it's for the enterprise, looking for that really does ensure that you're having the latest, greatest protections in your devices okay all right well you know i guess i'll you know i'll go take a look at uh you know what's what's the what's what's the new Eero going to cost me and <laughs> see, see if i want to make that upgrade um but uh yeah it seems seems like it might be a might be a worthwhile investment um so yeah i want to you know thank you for taking the time to uh join me and uh it was a good, good conversation absolutely it's been a pleasure to be here tony I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts. 